The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. Um, I want to talk about some artificial intelligence. Again, we're going to talk a lot about it forever until it slams all of us in the face. And I'm not, I don't feel like I'm the only one talking about it anymore. So I'm watching this speech given by the CEO of IBM. Real quick, let me tell you why I'm talking about this so much. So I think that uh, almost everyone's job will be replaced by a machine. And I feel like this will be different than the industrial revolution where 99% of Americans were farmers and now less than 1% of Americans are farmers, but that doesn't mean 98% of people are unemployed, right? We found other jobs, but because it worked that way during the industrial revolution and the agricultural revolution, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen here during the AI revolution. Uh, I, I think new jobs will obviously be created, but there's a big difference here. And as we talked about last week, I, I've told people before that if, you know, for, if you're younger, you don't want to go into fast food. You should go into computer programming. But now we have artificial intelligence, which is doing computer programming. So we have computer programming that's programming computers. So even the computer programmer's job is going to be replaced by artificial intelligence. And I think almost everyone's will. And that's why I think it's very important. And then I'm not sure what society looks like when no one works. It's bad enough in a society where 10% of Americans aren't working. What does it look like when 90% of Americans aren't working? I don't know. I'm not sure. So I'm watching this speech given by the CEO of IBM. And she's saying all the, well, I was going to say she's saying all the things we've been saying, but I've been saying all the things that she and other people who are talking about AI have been saying. And how it's going to take over everything and change everything. And she used the example that we used. uh, That there will be no more radiologists anymore. I don't think there will be any more doctors anymore. I was talking about this on a Facebook Live. So I should, I'm sorry, I should say this. We do, I do a Facebook Live. I try to do one every day. Sometimes I may miss a day here and there. But I just started doing this a Facebook Live from uh, my house uh, every day. So the other day we were talking about AI. And the next day someone sent me a video of a machine taking someone's blood. I don't think there will be doctors anymore very soon. I think really the only humans in the healthcare field are going to be counselors. They're going to be people who have the emotional intelligence to be the go between a machine and the patient, but doctors, I don't think will exist anymore. So let me, uh, let me prove that this is a video from last year. Keep in mind as you're watching this, that every 18 months, the computing ability doubles. So computing ability doubles every 18 months. That's why this is all exponential growth and it's going to slam us in the face really fast. So this is last year. So things are almost twice as good, twice as fast, twice as powerful. This doctor is the head doctor at the cancer center of University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So IBM comes in and says, hey, we want to help you cancer doctors here. And here's our IBM's Watson. Here's our artificial intelligence machine to help you. This is a quick clip from 60 Minutes. Again, this is last year. Clip 1590. 
What Watson's AI technology could do is essentially what Dr. Sharpless and his team of experts do every week at this molecular tumor board meeting. We need to figure this out. They come up with possible treatment options for cancer patients who already fail standard therapies. They try to do that by sorting through all of the latest medical journals and trial data, but it is nearly impossible to keep up. I don't think there's a trial open yet. To be on top of everything that's out there, all the trials that are taking place around the world. It seems like an incredible task it's for really, any one university and one facility to do. Yeah, it's, it's essentially undoable. And, and understand, we have sort of 8,000 new research papers published every day. You know, no one has time to read 8,000 papers a day. So we found that we were deciding on therapy based on information that was always, in some cases, 12, 24 months out of date. I'll right, pause there. So are you with me so far? Are you with us? So cancer research, 8,000 new research papers every day, which seems amazing. Way too much information. No human or group of humans can take all that in and then use it to properly diagnose a patient. It doesn't make any sense. How many research papers could a human take in every day? One? <laughs> One research paper a day? And then let's say you had 8,000 people at the research center. So each person reads each research paper, but then they can't communicate with each other because you got 8,000 people telling each other about the research paper they were in charge of that day. Like it's impossible. It's humanly impossible. Enter artificial intelligence Watson. Next clip. However, it is a task that's elementary for Watson. You know, they taught Watson to read medical literature essentially in about a week. It was not very hard. And then Watson read 25 million papers in about another week. And uh, then it also scanned the web for uh, clinical trials open at other centers. And all of a sudden, we had this complete list that was sort of everything one needed to know. Did this blow your mind? Oh, it totally blew my mind. There you go. 25 million medical papers in a week. It read 25 million in a week and can diagnose people with cancer better and more thoroughly than the human doctors could ever dream of. So tell me why there will be doctors anymore. Add to this. A machine that with a drop of blood, this already exists, with a drop of blood can detect hundreds of diseases instantly. You take that diagnosis. So let's say you put your drop of blood in a machine that everyone will have in their house. Drop of blood says, oh, you have this illness. Sends that information to a pharmacist, which is also a machine. Not only does the pharmacist know the right medication, but the pharmacist, the AI computer pharmacist will know your genetic code. Back in 2001, it cost $100 million to sequence your DNA. To sequence your genome, it cost $100 million in 2001. Today, it's 1000 bucks. So give it a couple more years, it'll be $100 to uh, sequence your DNA. Everyone will just do it. No problem, won't even think twice about it. So this machine will analyze your drop of blood, send the information to the machine pharmacist who will not only know the best medicine for your illness, but will also know the best medicine for your illness based on your specific DNA sequencing. And then an Amazon drone will fly the, the, uh, the, the medicine to your door. I mean, no humans involved in this entire process. So I remember I talked about that on my local show the other day about human pharmacists and how artificial intelligence will take over the pharmacist business. And I got a tweet the next day. Slater, can you give me the source for your IBM Watson pharmacy story? My pharmacist wife is saying it will never happen in a million years. 
Of course she is. Uh, now, full disclosure, I totally made that pharmacy story up. Okay, when I first shared that a couple of days ago, I totally completely made it up. I was just imagining what artificial intelligence could do. So when this guy sent me uh, an email saying, hey, Slater, you know, what's the source for that story? I was like, oh, geez, I wonder if it is a thing. So this is an article from last year, quote, for five years now. <laughs> so now we're on year six. University of uh, UCSF, University of California, San Francisco Medical Center has relied on an automated robot pharmacy to fill prescriptions and a fleet of thousands of autonomous bots to deliver them around the hospital. Rita Jew, director of the UCSF program, says the robots have worked for five years with 100% accuracy. So not only could artificial intelligence replace human pharmacists, they already are. This person says it will never happen in a million years. It happened six years ago. Why? Why? Why AI over humans? It is impossible for a human to understand every drug and every drug's interaction with every other drug and every drug's interaction with your DNA. That's impossible for a human, not for AI. And the truth is humans aren't very good at dispensing medication. Um, we, I got to take a break here. We got more to do, but if you're interested in more, just Google dispensing errors. There's a ton of research on this. They say about 4% of prescription dispensing is wrong and harmful 4%, which I think 4% right of all the prescriptions that are passed out all every day, I think 4% is pretty good. It's pretty low, but a robot makes zero errors. And also if you're that one person who has the wrong prescription, that's a big deal. But a robot has zero errors and is probably cheaper and faster and doesn't take time off and doesn't sue their employer. So, of course, pharmacists will be replaced by machines. They already are. And also, of course, everyone thinks their job will be safe from robot replacement, but it probably won't. I feel the need to end on a positive note. <laughs> I feel like I haven't been... Uh, very good... P people who are very good at their job will survive longer in AI fields and people who are in jobs of compassion will still be needed. And that is a major part of some pharmacists jobs, right? Some pharmacists are just how many pills in this many bottle? Boom, 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 boom. That deals. That is very important, but that's why I feel like a lot of these doctor jobs will be replaced by counselors or at least these medical profession jobs will become more and more of the human counseling role. One pharmacist, uh, this is a professor of pharmacy, says the ultimate thing is that automation has led to the ability for us to reinvent ourselves as a profession and we need to take the challenge. There's going to be a lot of reinventing of professions in the next few years here. I'm talking five years, 10 max. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. All right, now 
One more AI <laughs> topic here. Uh, self-driving cars. Remember last week, we were, we, I talked a little bit about self-driving cars and then someone on my local show called in and said, Slater, you're out of your mind. Uh, self-driving cars are not going to happen. They're not going to be widespread. No chance. And I, I, told, I think I told you, I think we talked about this last week, actually. I went home and a couple hours after that conversation and saw that Elon Musk in, in unveiled the new $35,000 Tesla. So once this officially goes on sale and I know there's a huge back order now, but once this goes on sale and is no longer back order, this thing will be all over the place. And I, I, again, I think I'll, I shared this too, that the uh, guy at Motor Trend, so the guy who tests cars at Motor Trend said he rode in an Alfa Romeo to the track to test the Tesla. And he said the Alfa Romeo felt like a west a wet sponge by comparison. Right, so these are car guys who are saying, "Oh my gosh, this Tesla thing is out of control, unbelievable, thirty five thousand dollars." And the price is only going to go down and down and down. And the best thing is, even if you don't like Teslas, Elon Musk has out open sourced everything. Every single technology in a Tesla is open source, which means it's available to everyone. So Ford, whoever can take the exact same technology that Tesla is using and make their cars with it. Total game changer. So yesterday, I saw a new Mercedes. Actually, I think it's on the front of Drudge. I think if you go to Drudge, the, the front page has the new Mercedes. And, and Mercedes is making a point here that this is not a concept car. You see these concept cars, right? They have these car shows and they'll bring out these concept cars and they're ridiculous. They're totally out of control. They have no, no way will they ever be actual cars that people buy or make or where they just look ridiculous. I don't even know why they do it, to be honest. But Mercedes is saying, oh, no, 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 this is, not a, this is not a concept car. This is a car that we are going to be making here very soon. And the inside of it looks like a living room. And the, car, the seats all turn to the middle. And there's a table there. And just completely self-driving. So imagine what the world looks like and what our life looks like. No more driving where you just are driven places. Everything changes. Now I want to give a little, a little context to this and talk about how these changes aren't new. They're just different. So in 1901, the first speed limit law was passed for cars. It was in Connecticut. The first speed limit law I should say that cars were not called cars for a long time. They weren't even called automobiles. The cars were originally called horseless carriages, which again says a lot about that period of change, right? They were called carriages, which obviously were propelled by horses or pulled by horses. Uh, well, here's a carriage without a horse. It's a horseless carriage. So the speed limit for the horseless carriage was 12 miles per hour. There was a law that was proposed in Pennsylvania that required anyone in a horseless carriage to have someone walk in front of it with a flare, which kind of defeats the purpose of the horseless carriage. Uh, the law also said that if a horse is coming in the other, other direction, you have to pull over, dismantle your car, whatever that means, and then put a sheet over it that blends in with the background so as to not scare the horses. Now, I guarantee you people, when the first horseless carriages were coming out, 
uh, there was some guy like me saying, oh, this will completely revolutionize everything and everyone's going to be driving in these horses' carriages. And a vast majority of people with horses said, no way, won't happen, impossible. Too loud, too dangerous, too expensive. We don't have the infrastructure for it. And also, people really love their horses. And here we are. I mean, look around. Same thing's going to happen with these cars. Uh, the number one excuse I have or, or, or reason that people give that this won't happen is because people like their freedom. People really love their freedom. They love the freedom in the open road. They love to be able to get in their car and go wherever you want. So no one's going to get in a, in a self-driving car because then they'll lose their freedom. The government will be able to track it. They'll be able to maybe even control the cars and tell you where to go and where you can't go and all the rest. So no one's going to buy these self-driving cars because people don't want to give up their freedom. Nah. You may not want to give up your freedom, but people don't care. Did you hear the story like two weeks ago of the company in Wisconsin, St. Louis? I forget where it was, but a company where people voluntarily microchipped themselves. They, they voluntarily injected a, a rice sized microchip in their hand to make it easier for them to buy a Twix at the snack bar. Because they can just put their hand up where the credit card goes. You put their hand, and then you, and that's connected to your debit card. This little, voluntarily, they thought I was great. Like, oh, it's wonderful. I got a chip inside my hand. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? People love it. I think your cell phone, our cell phone, everyone's cell phone, takes away a lot of our freedom. Not only takes away our freedom of the moment, because things are always distracting us all the time, but you're totally tracked all the time. There's even a way, and I forget how to do it, but there's a way to go to your Google account and it'll tell you, it'll show a map of all the places you've been. So it, Google knows exactly where you, where you go all the time. So we've already given up that freedom. We've given up those freedoms a long time ago and no one really seems to care. So I see no reason why anyone would really be that deter, deterred from getting in a self-driving car, especially when they see the convenience of it. And the convenience is you're exhausted, doo -doo -doo -doo, punch a couple buttons, close your eyes. Alarm goes off in 45 minutes when you're getting to your work and you start to wake up and get out of your car and done. There you are. Also commutes right now. I think an hour long commute is crazy, but you could live two or three hours away in a self-driving car and... Do, 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 and then work on the way as the car drives you to where you're going and you just have your mini cubicle on wheels or you can sleep or whatever. Like I, this was, why would people not do it? Of course people will do that. That is five, again, five years, 10 max away. Five years. There's no way my nine month old son will know how to drive. There's no way ever. No, not a chance. He'll have a driver's license. Uh, and I don't even think he'll own cars. I think by that point, they'll just sort of be communal cars. Like Uber will own all the cars and you just sort of call it and it will come. So these are drastic changes that are happening and they're going to happen very soon. one 888 And honestly, if you spread the word about this to your friends, you'll be the first person in your group of friends that is aware and either sounding the alarm or ringing the celebration bells. I guess that totally depends on you. Coming up next, I want to talk about my new favorite type of privilege. It's not even white privilege. It's worse. This is Mike Slater. 
part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Rita said, I love what you said about preparing our kids to deal with the world as it is. Think kids today can be helped? Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's what I said. The, the line, it's not my line. It's, um, are you preparing the kid for the way or are you preparing the way for the kid? So think of, like, make it literal. So a path. If you're preparing the way for the kid, then you are going in front of your kid and you're... Um, you know, filling in this hole and clearing away this tree and here's a bump and we're going to level that off and here's a little uh, water. Uh, I'm going to build a little boat for my kids so they can get across the water. So you're preparing the way to make it easy for your kid to just walk or are you going to prepare your child for the way? Meaning I'm going to give my kid the skill sets to build a boat. I'm going to give my kid the, the skill sets to know how to climb the, the bump in the road, climb the mountain. Uh, I'm going to teach him how to clear the tree, right? Right. See the total, total, total difference. So I think we're off on, on that. Sarita, I hope that, uh, hope that helps. Uh, I found my new favorite type of privilege. This beats even white privilege, which is a total pile. And we don't have time to go into that actually on my Twitter Slater radio on Twitter. I put a link there to it's up there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I put a link up there to Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell, which is a fantastic book. You have to read it. You have to read it. Must read it. Uh, Put a link there on Twitter, Slater Radio on Twitter. Please buy it. And in there, it will, it was written a while back, but it will destroy the whole Black Lives Matter white privilege argument in a couple pages. It's fantastic. But now we have a whole new level here. The problem with the white privilege narrative, among other things, is that I think it gives people an excuse to not do the right thing and to not act the right way and to not achieve and to not strive and to not build character. Because we tell kids that no matter how they behave or what they do, the system is working against them. They can't succeed. You can't be successful no matter what you do. Thomas Sowell tells a story of how he was at Marquette And a black student stood up and said he wanted to join the military, but he couldn't because he was black. This was like three years ago. And he said, what are you talking about? He's like, oh yeah, the the system's out against black people. And he said, have you ever heard of the Tuskegee Airmen? What what, What is your, of course black people can, but this is what our kids are told. That no matter what you do, you can't succeed. So now we have a new privilege that's even worse than that. Cognitive privilege. Oh, maybe the first time you've ever heard that. This is exciting because you're going to hear a lot more of it. This is an op-ed in the student newspaper at the University of Iowa. Usually I would not get anything from a student newspaper, but uh, all these things start in the universities. Here's what this person said. There are many kinds of privilege besides white privilege. Cognitive privilege, for example. We now know that intelligence is not intelligence is not something 
we have significant control over, but it's something we are born with. My gosh, it goes back to the whole, remember, I don't want to get into a whole gay rights thing here, but remember they, they, the whole movement is telling intentionally telling people we're born this way. We're born this way, born this way, born this way, born this way. We have no choice. There's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. We're born this way, born this way, born this way, even though that's not necessarily slash always true. So same thing here. Smart. Are you smart? Or are you dumb? You're born that way. We are living in a society in which success is increasingly linked to one's intelligence. This is great stuff here. So they're saying intelligence is not something you have significant control over. You're born with it. More excuses. More excuses. You're born dumb. Do you see the message this sends to kids in particular to kids, but to everyone, but let's focus on kids. It sends the message. There's no use trying. You're either born smart or you're born dumb. So what's the point of studying? What's the point of trying? What's the point of reading? What's the point of working hard to achieve? You're either born smart or you're not. Nothing I can do to fix it. Now, also, if you're born smart, well, then, then you benefit from that. You benefit from being born that way. Well, it's nothing you did. But gosh, you have all the benefits now because you were born with this privilege. This is no different than you didn't build that. Remember when Barack Obama said you didn't build that? And every small business owner across the country said, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> Who else did? It, it, this is the same thing. You're not smart. It's not you. Oh, you think it's you? You think you're smart? No, no, it's not you. You were born that way. There's nothing you did to be smart. This is an actual line from the editorial quote. You have nothing to be proud of for being smart. You have nothing to be proud of for being smart. So. Uh, if you are smart, that means you're successful, which means you probably have some money, which means the government's going to come in and take it from you because, I mean, that's just the fair thing to do. You didn't actually succeed. You were just born this way. And we're going to give it to these other people over here who have no hope because they were born dumb. Now, let me ask you a question. If this is how our society is going to think and people who are dumb get free stuff, do you think that will incentivize people not striving, not ex- trying to excel? Of course it will, because society's going to say, well, here's all this stuff, and there's nothing you can do about it anyway. There's nothing you can do to actually be successful or make money because you're born that way. You're born dumb. You don't have cognitive privilege. You're cognitively disadvantaged. See how sick that is? See how sick and twisted? And now we know more and more research and just common sense that the greatest indicator to your success is not intelligence. So this person says, what was the line? Um, we are living in a society in which success is increasingly linked to one's intelligence. No, it's your grit. I know super smart people who have no grit. They don't know hard work at all. They don't get it. And they're not successful. Now, I know people who aren't necessarily that smart, but they work their butt off. And they never give up. And they're way more successful than the person who may have been born with more skill sets or more cognitive privilege. It's not entirely about intelligence. I wouldn't even say it's mostly about intelligence. There's a ton of other variables. I firmly, deeply believe this. I think the people who you see that are successful 
are not the ones who are the best at their field. I think they're the ones who never quit. Give, uh, think of an example. Um, I could give a sports example. All right, I'll go. I'll give a sports one. I'll give a few here. We'll start with sports. Um, best best basketball player ever. Who's the best basketball player ever? Now we're not going to turn into. Listen, if you ever hear a sports radio debate, who's the best, LeBron or Jordan? They they have nothing else to talk about. And they're just trying to fill time. So I don't want to get into that debate here. But let's just go with Michael Jordan. Okay, let's say uh, Michael Jordan quit in high school when he didn't make his high school team. Then who would be the best basketball player ever? Okay, then it'd be LeBron. Okay, everyone say LeBron. But now we're going with so 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 why? But why is it Jordan? He just quit. Now let's say it's because he didn't quit. Let's say he did quit. We would never know. We would never know that LeBron really wasn't the best. It was this other guy, Michael Jordan. But no one would have ever heard of Michael Jordan. So we would say that LeBron is the best. But he's not really the best. He's just the best who didn't quit. There was another guy who was better, Michael Jordan, but he quit. Let me give you another example. Maybe this one will be more clear. So uh, let's say 10 people sit down to write a book like I did recently. I may be the sixth best writer of the 10. I'm definitely not the best. I don't think I'm the worst. Somewhere in the middle of the pack. Let's say I'm the sixth best writer of the 10 people. So there's five writers who are better than me. Of those five writers who are objectively better writers than me, one of them never got started. The other got discouraged. The third is a huge jerk, so no one would edit the book for him. The fourth is really greedy and demanded too much from the publisher, so no one would publish it. And the fifth was too scared to finally finish it and send it out. I was all of those things. I never got started. I got discouraged. I didn't want anyone to edit it for me. I demanded too much from a publisher and I was too scared to send it out. But in the end, I overcame all those and I got it published. It's out. Now, I'm not the best writer of those 10. I'm the sixth best writer. But I had the, if you will, grit and didn't let those things stop me. So I published it. So now of the 10, well, I'm the one who got published. Well, the, 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 the three people who are not as good writers, they also got theirs published. But of the 10 who did get published, I'm the best. But am I really the best? No, I was the sixth best. There were five better than me. Five of them were better than me. They just never got it done. So if you just look at the end result, I win. Does that mean I have cognitive privilege? Well, no, there's five other people there who are smarter than me. There's five other people there who are better writers than me. It was all the other attributes that got me to the finish line. More than just writing ability. Perseverance, determination, building relationships, taking a risk, not being greedy, all, right, all these other things that have not that can be combined in one word, grit, but not about intelligence and not about writing ability. It's those things that really matter. Does that make sense? Intelligence is a variable to success, but it's not the variable. 
not by a long shot. So this whole cognitive privilege poison that will now be peddled out by the left is the most poisonous of the poisons yet because it doesn't even have to do with race. So this, that means everyone is going to be included in this and anyone who's looking for an excuse to not succeed and not strive and not thrive and not do their best. Well, they got a good one right here. Oh, I was born dumb. And that guy who I'm jealous of who did succeed. Well, he was born smart and life just isn't fair. You see how that doesn't end well? That's what's next. What? This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Later. Angela Duckworth wrote a book a couple of years ago called Grit. I'll put a link to that also on Slater Radio. Uh, it's great. And she did an interview with the New York Times about it. And with grit, she defines grit as a combination of passion and perseverance. Think about that. It's a combination of passion and perseverance. She said, my lab has found that this measure, grit, beats the pants off IQ SAT scores, physical fitness, and a bazillion other measures to help us know in advance which individuals will be successful in different situations. I completely agree with that. I feel like the biggest indicator to success is not your intelligence, it's your grit. There's so many more variables. And it's just the other than intelligence. I mean, what's, what's the worst thing you can say about someone? I think the worst thing that you could ever say, or I should say the worst thing that someone could say about me is he had so much potential. What does that mean? When someone says, oh gosh, he had so much potential. It means they were, they were smart, but they didn't have the other characteristics they needed to reach their potential. They didn't have grit. So for this person to say that cognitive privilege and to, to the, the whole basis is off of, that intelligence is all it takes. You have the smart and you have the dumb. No one can help, but there's nothing you can do to fix it. I mean, gosh, these progressives say there's nothing you can do to change your gender identity. <laughs> of course, they're going to say there's nothing you can do to change your intelligence, which means if you're dumb, you're dumb. Think of the message that sends. Think of the poison that is. The system is against you. The system decides what you can achieve. The system is unjust. And now we have this on top of it, that you were born dumb. Gosh, progressives in academia, the ones who are starting this stuff, they are such fatalists. Everything's up to fate and you are completely powerless. But then you throw on top of that atheism, so there's no God, and then a worldview of nihilism. I know I'm throwing out a lot of isms here, but you have fatalism. It's all fate. Atheism, there's no God. Nihilism, which means it's all meaningless. That's a pretty toxic stew. <laughs> Fatalism, atheism, nihilism. Throw those things together and you get everything's awful. The system's against you. There's nothing you can do about it. And let's rip everyone down who is successful. That's, that's the end result 
of that, this victimhood progressive ideology. Such an unbelievable lie. one 888 I want to come back here and play this clip from Adam Carolla, who was testifying in front of Congress the other day, which is awesome. And he had such a great opening couple minutes. I want to play a few minutes of it, which actually kind of ties into all this stuff. But it was actually, it was Adam Carolla and Ben Shapiro. They were talking about freedom of speech on college campuses. And it's more than that, though. We'll do that coming up next. Uh, Check us out on Facebook. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Please like us and and hang out there. We do a Facebook Live every day or so. And uh, a great way for us to... To stay in touch there, I'd appreciate that. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We got Adam Carolla coming up next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.